down in front. Like. Looks the master himself, Monsieur Dior. He looks like my milkman. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Old Fogies and Films. Each episode, the members of this panel take turns assigning a film to watch and discuss. We have Shelly, Ruth, Eric, Ia, and me, Fahad. As a prompt for the first cycle of this new season, we decided our pick should make a meaningful callback in some way to our first movie pick last season. My first pick was also our first episode ever, Ingrid Goes West. So I assigned the fogies to watch Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. In Ingrid Goes West, we followed Ingrid as she went west to California to chase her dreams and do anything she needed to do to get those dreams. In this case, it was trying to get this life of the ri- living the life of this rich and famous person. With Mrs. Harris, we're following her as she goes to Paris. She's not exactly chasing the lifestyle of the rich and famous, but she is chasing something that is associated to that lifestyle of the rich. Uh, So there's a lot of similarities in that sense, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. So with that, the movie takes place in the 1950s. It follows Ada Harris, who's a cleaning woman in London, and who one day stumbles on a client's Dior dress. From that moment, she makes it her mission to go to Paris and get her own Dior dress. We get to follow her on her adventures in Paris as she goes through several ups and downs and meeting new friends and enemies along the way, but ultimately getting everything she dreamed of and more, including the perfect Dior dress and a dose of self-confidence. Okay, so with Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, I'm going to start first and just give you all my opinion. So first, I am going to confess to you, as of now, I have seen this movie three times. I watched it when it first came out. Yeah, in the theater, I watched it. And that's where I first fell in love with the movie. Then I watched it over Thanksgiving break with my mom. And I knew that two weeks later, we were going to do this. And I was like, well, I did just watch it. But you know what? I'm going to watch it again. So I did. Um, And each time I watched it, I actually ended up loving it more and more. And I'll get into it a bit um, why later on. But I mean, a lot of it has to do with like the first time you watch it. And I'm sure hope. Hopefully you guys felt this way. You know, overall, the movie is very feel good. It's a very feel good movie. It's a happy movie. But throughout the story, she goes through a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, every time she gets knocked down, you feel really sad and bad for her. But then something great happens right after that. It's like, oh, yes, everything's going well again. Um, So watching it the first time, you're going through that roller coaster with her. But when you watch it subsequent times, you know that better things are just around the corner. So it makes it even more fun and enjoyable to watch. So just a little thing for everybody who might watch this more than once. So my reason for choosing this movie is that a lot of times, a lot of us, when we talk about good movies or wanting to go watch movies, we're always looking at like the latest action movie, the latest drama, the latest horror movie. And I feel like sometimes, especially in this world that we're in now, we just need to feel good sometimes. We just need to escape and not always be looking at things that are so serious and just watch stuff that feels like there's actually hope out there. Even though in this movie, a lot of stuff that happens to her is pretty unbelievable in the sense that I can't believe that actually happened. Uh, It's still nice to just see. And it's just nice to watch something and not leave that 
movie feeling sad or depressed. And I think sometimes we need that little dose of joy in our lives. So that's why I wanted to show you all this movie so that you can get a, hopefully get a little joy in your life just seeing everything that she did. And it's also nice sometimes to see that by just being a nice, good-hearted person, good things will come your way. And I think this movie, that's basically summing it up. You know, she had so many things going against her throughout the movie. She didn't give up. She didn't change who she was in terms of becoming mean to anybody. She wasn't nasty. She still was nice, still helped people. Even the meanest person to her, um, she was still nice to her at the end and convinced her not to leave her job at Dior. And it worked out great for Ada in the end as well. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's a nice little thing to just see every now and then a good lighthearted movie. Um, you know, it's December time. We're all watching Christmas movies for the same reason. So just wanted to give everybody hopefully a dose of happiness. But most of the Christmas movies I'm watching are horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Again, we don't always need to watch horror movies. With, um, the, with, a, with a, the dose of the Santa Claus movie though, that's what feels good. <laughs> I like it when it's both. <laughs> True. But there's not a lot of, you know, joy. <laughs> More blood. Yeah, those are my movies too, unfortunately. Anyway, go ahead. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say so, some of the things I just wanted to bring about or talk about were, you know, when watching the movie, some of the interesting things about it are how they portray London versus Paris. Uh, when you're looking at London, it's kind of this just sense of like darkness and like things are cloudy or gloomier. Um, but when you go to Paris, even though it's loaded with trash on every corner because of the trash strike and everything, there's still this sense of whimsy that you're in Paris and like, love is in the air kind of a thing. Um, and that's fun to just kind of see. Um, and it was nice that a lot of the movie took place in Paris so you could feel that happy feeling. Um, and same even with like the characters themselves, the ones that were in London were, you know, Vi was kind of a lovable, like happy character, but they were all still pretty kind of serious in a lot of ways. Whereas in Paris, even though there are serious things happening, there's still that sense of like being fantastical. You're in Paris, anything can happen kind of a deal. Um, so that's just fun to watch. I, I love both London and Paris. Uh, so it's just fun to see them both portrayed uh, this way in the movie. Uh, the other thing that I came out of the movie seeing was that, you know, when you're looking at it and trying to understand what this movie is about, there's a lot of different things you could say it's about. Uh, when it comes to the theme of love, I feel like there's four different love stories going on in this movie. Um, there's Mrs. Harris and the Dior dress, right? She falls in love with getting this Dior dress and that's her main thing she needs to achieve. There's the typical love story, a young love story of Andre and Natasha. Um, then there's the, is this going to be a love story or is it not? I don't know where it's going between Mrs. Harris and the Marquis. Unfortunately, it doesn't go the way the audience might be thinking it could be going, especially when he reveals why he feels this closeness to her. It was kind of depressing. You know, you remind me of the, the maid in my boarding school when I was growing up. It's like, yeah, you don't want to be told that when you think that this guy right. is taking you on a date. Um, actually, there's five love stories. There's the potential love story between Mrs. Harris and Archie. Like, is, is there some kind of a love brewing there, especially at the end? Maybe something was happening. Um, but ultimately, it's also a love story of Mrs. Harrison herself. You know, she went to Paris. She proved to herself she could do this. And she gained this sense of confidence she did not have before going to Paris. Uh, before she went, 
You know, she was this cleaning lady, but she let everybody walk all over her, especially that really rude client of hers who refused to pay her and would just make excuses like, oh, I have this, the wedding, I have to do this for, I have to do this. And finally, when she came back from Paris, she gained that sense of confidence and she was able to stand up to her and quit and demand that she gets paid for her uh, past wages due. Um, so it was nice to just see like all these different quote unquote love stories going on. Um, going back also to the fantastical characters in Paris, it was also interesting to see just kind of the wide range of characters they introduced. You had those homeless men in the train station. Uh, and even though, you know, they're homeless and stuff, there's that sense of whimsy with them. And, um, he then takes her on a walk all the way to Dior. And then it goes all the way from them to like the uber rich, uh, Marquis. And even though, um, you know, he's like the serious kind of man, there's still this sense of whimsy. He takes her to this flower shop and it's like, you know, they have that fun little flirtation. They go to the cabaret show and everything. So um, it's just interesting to see the type of people you meet in France in Paris versus London. Okay, bear with me here. Cause like I said, I've seen this three times. I have a lot to say. Um, I want to talk about the roller coaster ride that this movie was. It's not like a scary roller coaster ride. It's like a kitty roller coaster. If you ever were at King's <laughs> Dominion and went on the Scooby-Doo, that's what this is like. The hills really aren't that steep and it's not that scary, no upside down or anything. But really, if you look at the story, the way you can break it down is something good happens, something bad happens, something good happens, something bad happens. And it just kind of goes in that uh, theme. Uh, so the movie itself starts out gloomy. It's this life of her as a cleaning lady, just day in, day out, going through this rut. And then she sees this Dior dress and all of a sudden her whole view on life changes. I must get this. And there's a sense of like a spark in her to change, you know, to do whatever she can do to get this dress. Um, then she gets that, then she finally gets the courage to open the letter where um, about her husband, where it becomes set in stone that her husband's passed away. So of course she gets sad about that. But then she wins the lottery. Um, you know, she even thanks her husband or a sports bet, sports bet or something. I can't tell exactly what it was, but she won money through that. So yay, everything's great again. So then she goes to the dog races and bets all the money, all the hard work that she did, getting even more money, bets it all on Hook was it Hook Couture was the name yeah. of the, the yeah. dog? Which honestly, I would have betted on the same thing if I was going after a Dior dress. Like that is fate right there telling you bet on this dog. Um, and it was depressing seeing that dog run so fast and then just stop. Um, so again, roller coaster ride, she loses all the money. Um, but then comes what I call like the day of all the luck. You know, she's at home and the uh, army person comes over to her house and she thinks that he's asking for money due to overpayment of her husband's wages. But he's like, no, I'm here to give you money. Um, and she's like, whoa. So she gets money from that. But at the same time, there's a knock on the door and it's a police officer. And he says, I'm here to give you a reward. The people whose jewelry you found want to reward you for being so nice. So she gets money from that. At the same time, Archie shows up and is like, just so you know, I took uh, 10 uh, pounds out of what you gave me and I bet it on a sure thing and I got all your money back. So it's like all these bad things happen, but then all these great things happen. Um, so continuing down that roller coaster ride, <coughs> um, she gets whatever she needs to get to Paris. 
gets to Dior and is pretty much turned away. It's like, you can't come in here. But thankfully the marquee was there and she's invited in, sees the dress of her dreams, everything's looking great again. But then that trash king's wife takes the dress of her dreams away. So it's like, great, now she can't get that. But luckily her, she had a second choice so she can get that. Everything's great again. But then she's told, you need to wait two weeks before you can get the dress because we make everything to order. And she was only planning on walking in, getting her frock and walking out. Um, so again, things are like up in the air again. Everything's sad. What is she going to do? Well, then Andre says, you can come and stay at my apartment. So everything's good again. Um, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just looking at my notes here. Oh, and so everything's going well. But then she goes out and parties with the marquee, wakes up late the next morning and is late to her fitting. And the uh, seamster guy, is seamster the right name for a male person doing the sewing? Taylor. Taylor, the tailor. Says, I think they called oh, him the atelier, right? Sure. He says, no, I'm not going to make this dress for you anymore. Leave. Like, I'm not, you know, we're done. So things look horrible again. But then they both have a common ground when they, he discovers she's good at sewing. So everything's back and good again. And uh, but then things go back down because she goes on what she thinks is a date with the marquee, finds out it's not a date. Uh, but then at the same time, she ends up saving Dior, the company, by telling Andre and giving him the confidence to go tell Dior your plan to save the company. So that's great. But then Madame Colbert is like, I, this isn't the Dior I want. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm quitting. But then she goes and convinces Colbert to stay, but then only to find out Natasha's leaving Paris. But they managed to get Natasha and she manages to get Natasha with Andre and everything's great. She goes home with the dress and we feel like, oh, everything's good to go now. But then she yeah. dress, lends her dress to Pamela. What? Shouldn't, now, shouldn't she have encouraged Natasha to leave and go pursue her dreams instead of making convincing her to stay? But I think she convinced her that there's still things she can do, study philosophy in Paris, too. Okay. She doesn't need to leave. So she can get her love and her studies at the same time. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so then everything's great, but she comes home and lends her dress to Pamela, who completely destroys it and... All of a sudden, at that moment, the audience is like, what the heck just happened? Everything she did was for nothing. But because she was such a good person throughout the entire movie, touched so many lives and helped so many people out, they all came together and it just worked out. She got the dress of her dreams, everything she wanted, and she got her own confidence back. She went back to the dance and met up with Archie and everything was wrapped up in a nice, pretty Dior bow. So I just wanted to signify the ups and downs that this movie took you through but it also kind of told everybody the exact plot of the movie <laughs> <laughs> anyways i'm going to stop there um i have more to say but i'll stop and i'm gonna go in the order i see people so shelly you're first i loved the movie and um i think i the the biggest reason is because Mrs. Harris is just the best character ever. Like she's just a likable character and you're rooting for her from the beginning. And I just loved her. I also absolutely loved that this was a movie about an older female. I mean, it, it, so it wasn't about a young, it wasn't a love story about a young, beautiful lady. It was an actual story and it, and it focused on an older female, which I don't think we see enough of, um, so that made me love it even more. And I also loved that it was it was a happy movie. It was just a good, like wholesome, <laughs> happy movie. 
Um, I loved all the characters. There's nothing that I would say that I didn't like about it. I enjoyed the plot. I enjoyed that that it kind of it was like a roller coaster. It kept you guessing, and you felt for her so much. Like I was so upset when the man told her that, "Oh, you remind me of Mrs. Mops." What a terrible name! You don't want to, to you don't want a man that you're feeling romantic about to to tell you that you um he, you remind him of first of all someone named Mrs. Mops. And that it was the maid at his boarding school. He's um, saying he didn't want a romance. He wanted a mother, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone exactly. take care of me and make me feel better. Then <laughs> you, I was furious at the girl that she let this girl borrow her beautiful dress. And she was so careless and she didn't even seem to care. Like did, she did not understand that she just basically spent all of her life savings on this dress and it just got burned in the note didn't she say don't worry i'm fine yeah don't worry i'm fine sorry about the dress and it was just like oh my gosh i wanted to find out like figure out uh, i meant to do inflation calculator to find out how much 430 pounds in 1950 how much that would be now because that's that's a lot because 430 Pounds like pounds now is a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah, oh, yeah, I um, completely agree. So yes, absolutely love this movie, and I will let someone else talk. Hey, uh, sorry, Shelley. Uh, just so you know, in 1950, 430. Let's just say dollars. Right. 430 dollars is about 5,317 dollars. So that's an expensive dress to yes. just go up into flames because she yeah. leaned too close to that. Is she in perspective, her cigarette yes. or no, she was checking her um, makeup. Yep, and it, the heater at the bottom. And she was just fire. awful. And then so, for, sorry, so was that, um, so was the rich lady that didn't pay her. She was just awful. I wanted Mrs. Mm-hmm. Harris to steal her Dior dress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't tell if the the young starlet, if she really did like Mrs. Harris, and she was just a total like flibberty gibbet. Uh, I think you know, she like, was, but she was so flibberty gibberish, whatever that. Yeah. Think of Mrs. Harris because she was like. Yeah. I, I could tell. I could tell that she. I felt like she did like Mrs. Harris and care. I'm leaning towards that, but every now and then, like the way she would say something or behave, I was like, oh, is she using Mrs. Kind Harris? Of a brat. She's just you know? a brat. She's obviously just had everything her way, probably for being a pretty girl her whole life. So she just thinks, oh, people just take care of you, right? Who cares? (laughs) I I did write some quotes that I'm not going to do now, but but, but she did say to Mrs. Harris, you can't imagine what it's like worrying about your looks. But she was saying it in a way that she didn't think was rude. (laughs) Oh, I think what she meant was, I mean, this is how I chose to interpret it. I think she meant that a girl like her only really has her looks. So that's all that she, so she's got to be very careful and worry about it. And that maybe, I, I mean, I'd like to think that she thought like, oh, Mrs. Harris, you don't, you've never had to rely just on your looks. You you have skills and you can do things. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what that's, <laughs> it's it just what it comes to. off the wrong way though. Um, I took it as like, also she also, cause she's an actress. So in that career path, you have to worry about your looks. Um, but in any which way, it still comes off as <laughs> rude. Yeah. Shelly, anything else? No, I think that's it. Oh, and Vi, Vi was a good best, good best friend. She, yeah. was, she 
I thought you met your daughter for a minute. <laughs> My daughter. She's also great. Um, but she took care of her work for the week. Yeah. And she she just took care. They just took care of each other. I liked that relationship as well. Uh, one thing to point out about that relationship is also it shows uh, for Mrs. Harris's character herself, um, back in the 1950s, there still was a lot of racial tension. So for her best friend to be you know, of a different race, that says a lot about both of them and that they're able to bridge that and not let that get in the way. I was wondering about that too, because then I saw there's, there's so many African-American women that were in the show and I was like, like, like was like, what were the racial, because I know 19, this is 1950 something and that and there and there were 1950s in the United States, there was, you know, the Jim Crow and segregation everything going on then. Um, so I was wondering, was it even, how was it, was mm-hmm. it prevalent in, in, in Paris versus was going in the United States at that time? I saw some of the women in the show and- Yeah, some of the models, yeah. Yeah, and one of the movies uh, I saw um, called Green Book, the doctor is a black doctor. He wasn't even allowed to try on outfits because um, of his skin color. He wasn't even allowed, you know, go to the store, but he couldn't try on outfits. So that's, how, that's when I saw this movie, I was like, oh, okay, I guess the racial tensions weren't as bad in Paris or were they? On a, on a side note, did you know the guy who wrote the Green Book, co-wrote the Green Book because it's based on his father died recently? Sorry, it's uh, the co-writer's brother who was an actor from The Sopranos. He died. I did not know that. His, wow. his body was found dumped. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that was <laughs> video of somebody just driving up in a car and pulling him out of the passenger seat and just leaving him. Oh, wow. Kind of crazy. That, that anyway, so I, I did read a little bit about um, racism in, in Britain uh, during this, during the last few decades. And I think it was similar to the US, but you know, with many, many differences. I, I think what I read was that um, Around this time, there was, I'm sure, you know, uh, some, you know, extensive racism, but that that it was more about class. Class was more of an issue in in Britain than even race. Like, if you were of a high standing class wise, it wouldn't matter what color you were, you would still be considered higher than other people, even white people, <laughs> if they were below your station. But I do know that um, even through the 80s. Uh, that interracial marriage, for instance, was uh, a serious issue that um, that they had a difficult time with. So, I mean, if that gives you any context, I, I think what Fahad says is right that it's it is it, it does seem unlikely, maybe that they would be friends, but it, it speaks to them both that they don't really think about it that way, and that they are both in the same social class. So maybe that sort of flattens the same line of work. Yeah, <laughs> sense. Yeah, I was wondering, was that historically accurate, or is it just like, yeah? So okay, yeah. Well, this movie certainly took liberties with historical accuracy, right? <laughs> yeah. With what accuracy? There, there is some act. There is some of the story of Dior and what yeah. it was facing financial troubles and how it needed to go beyond the haute couture, like only made to order in the store and make stores mm-hmm. everywhere. Obviously, because Dior is still around. But whether he personally would have listened to a and a uh, low-class English housekeeper. <laughs> well, he didn't. He li- Dior listened to um, the accountant to- uh, I, I know, but he let her storm into his oh, office yes, with his did. entire <laughs> staff and then he sent her a dress. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the kind of person he was. I didn't read up on him in particular <laughs> to find out if he we was- will, we, will, we will believe he was. <laughs> okay. we, 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 we will convince, convince generations that that was the kind of person he was. What a 
a crazy way to get a dress though. Just that whole process of yeah. you go pick out, write down the number you want, yeah. and then you have to go get measured and go back every few days to get re like get altered. It'd be crazy. I wonder if places still do it that way. And so like in terms of having girls or models walk around with the dress and you write the number, like that whole process end to end. If not, they should bring it back. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> um, I like the names that they gave dresses. I will take the, what was it? The temp temptress and the- Temptation? Temptation, yes, temptation. Oh. And then I forget the other one. Sort of yeah, like I, I think I've forgotten all of the names except that one, just because you said temptress. There was a Valparaiso. Yeah, right? I knew something started with a V. Um, Oh, I did hear that they did a lot of research to try to recreate the gowns as close as possible to what they were back then. When they started walking around, I figured, I looked at them and I was like, ooh, I bet they had, I bet the costume designer had a fun time, like looking back at the old designs and and remaking them. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fun for them all. And I'm sure for the people wearing them too. And um, for the actress getting to wear that gown at the end as well. Um, Stressful to be one of the seam the seamstresses to have to sew these dresses perfectly for these very wealthy clients. Yeah, especially for Trash Man's wife, Trash King's wife. Yes, she's awful. This is trash. This is tra <laughs> queen trash. Queen, queen trash. trash. <laughs> um, up next, we have Ruth. Okay. Um, I actually I really like the movie too. Um, you know, I love to kind of how sweet and great person she was and um kind of also how being a good person in the end really helped out because I felt like she would say how she was invisible and all the stuff and um then like you know when she went to Paris I was really happy for her to chase the dream of hers and then just to really you know especially like I was we we had been talking about the class systems too that of course some people didn't embrace her about about that but there were still some really sweet people because you know they could see her on that and then um well even when she went back to England I was just you know like gosh you know they how much they really needed her and stuff like that and um take for granted someone of a lower class especially I like the fact too like everybody was saying how much confidence she got and didn't want to put up with that lady anymore the um that had the dior dress which i really which i thought was really good too um especially did you catch that that woman said she spent 500 dollars on that dior dress and didn't tell her husband but also was not paying her housekeeper so clearly the money that went to that dress was supposed to be going <laughs> to mrs harris <laughs> and they were so strapped yeah. you saw all the empty spaces on the wall where they she had to take the portraits and sell them like the money is not going to the right places. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, I have to work on him a little bit for him to pay for the dress or whatever. You know what that means. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> how about the other, that kind of other job. That's the work. <laughs> how about her other client and all of his nieces? <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't put that together until the oh. second niece. And then I was like, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I totally was, I'm so naive. <laughs> I don't think the first time I saw it, the very first niece introduction, I don't think I thought it either. But yeah, the second niece that came around, it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, overall, I really liked it. Um, 
feel like there's some came to mind and I already kind of. <laughs> well, I, I did want to touch Ruth on one thing you mentioned how like Mrs. Harris was kind of invisible, right? Um, and I, I, that led to one of my favorite moments in this movie. So early on, you know, she says to Vi, it's kind of funny. These are other quotes that I wrote. She said, that's what we are, Vi, the invisible women. And then later on, um, Madame Colbert says to her, you're nobody, invisible. And then the invitation comes from the marquee for Mrs. Harris to come have lunch with them. And she's like, the marquee, you know, he receives nobody. And then Mrs. Harris turns to her and says, I am nobody, aren't I? So it was just a great like, moment because she told her you're nobody. And then she said, well, nobody, he sees nobody. And she's like, yeah, you just said that was a great, nobody. that was a great fuck you line. It was, I loved it. I love that. Yeah. Did you also notice when, when Mrs. Harris was trying to make money, she put up a, a flyer for, in, I think, I think it was invisible seamstress yeah, or oh, invisible yeah. hemming. Oh, yeah. just, which apparently means like she, she does it so well you can't even tell like there's a, a seam or a hem but still she used the word invisible again which i think had a double meaning there is like you won't even know i'm there <laughs> and you'll never know that your your garment had to be repaired <laughs> yeah, so i feel like that is one of the underlying themes is this idea of her being invisible uh but through multiple things and eric i didn't even think about that but yeah that's another great example yeah how much of a snob the lady what uh christian dior's right hand woman i forgot yeah, colbert yeah and just how awful she was and then it took towards the end when things they're trying to turn things around to make you know make sure that they didn't go under um that they finally came to common ground and kind of she finally let her in i guess she probably also had a big wall um but yeah, kind of like, I mean, it was good too, even though they had um, a lot of problems in between with each other that um, Mrs. Harris, you know, just being like, hey, you know, you're just as important and then to keep, to help run it, even though, you know, um, help things go, be going too with the, the whole crew that works there, like the same seamstresses and, and everybody. Yeah. I mean, as mean as Miss Colbert was to her, Mrs. Harris still went and gave her a pep talk. Um, yes. How were, how did you all feel when you actually saw what Madame Colbert's home life is like? I was shocked. Right? Because she gives off this air of like, I'm this perfect French woman, oity toity, high class sophistication. But then you see like how she actually dresses and her hairstyle at home. And I guess maybe her husband is sick or something. Like she has a lot going on at home. So it's kind of like you think she would have common ground with Mrs. Yeah. Harris but it's almost like she sees in Mrs. Harris what she tries not to be when she's at Dior because that's her escape and yeah. by seeing Mrs. Harris is like no no this is too close to my real life to, you're not what's supposed to be in here I changed everything I am to be in here and you can't just walk in yeah I think uh, sometimes I hate it when uh, when they try to humanize a, a villainous character because I'm, I'm like I don't even want to hear about it they're awful <laughs> <laughs> but um but it, it worked in this case because you know she was she's one of those villains those really like sharp women uh that we all kind of love to hate in movies just because they've always got a line for everything and they're so um perfectly put together so it made sense to me she that she was kind of she's one of those women who knows better than most how easily it could all be taken away from her which is probably why she does her job with so much control she's like I, this needs to work and i need to stay in a position of power 
Um, because if I lose all this, which it, things like this are taken away from women all the time, then I will have nothing and my husband will suffer and who knows what. So in that sense, you can kind of understand, like, I get it, you know, why you had to be, what well, you felt you had to be that way. But I guess Mrs. Harris taught her you could be a different way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And did you all like seeing her? Did you see her name played at the end that she was no longer whatever her role was? She's now Madam President. Oh, I was wondering if it was a new name. I couldn't I think remember. it was. Yeah, I don't think that was her role originally, but I think in this restructuring and everything, she might have gone back in and negotiated a higher position or something. She got more respect. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's what she wanted was respect, right? Yeah. And I say how she um, played on the facade because when they walked, when Mrs. Harris and I forgot what that man's name was, they walked over to her house and they're like, are you sure we're at the right place? Because... It wasn't as fancy, probably, as what they yeah. expected. It's not what I expected. No, me either. <laughs> not everyone in France is living the dream, but even the homeless people are classy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I love that she accepted, accepted drinking the wine or whatever. She's like, okay, I'll drink from the bottle. Oh, my God. I will <laughs> say, because of the way that the roller coaster theme, you know, I thought she was going to go to sleep and wake up to her bag stolen. Me too. I, really, I, didn't I thought that too. I thought that there were a few people who were going to take advantage of her who yeah. ended up not. I thought Archie was going to take advantage of her, you know, but it, it didn't, in that sense, the movie was not maybe, it was more of a fantasy, definitely. Because it was. That's why I said it's unbelievable yeah. in that. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to believe, but that's why sometimes you just need a movie that looks over all those things. It's like, you know what? Let's just make it nice. Yeah. And everybody's. Yeah. It's fun. It is. And I, I like the homeless guy. I thought he was charming for her. Like, I, I was like, it's kind of like a little date. They went on a date. To yeah. Should she have yeah. pursued him? <laughs> I, I thought maybe like when she went back and saw him again, but. That's what I thought. <laughs> Would have been funny if it turned out he was not homeless. He just likes to hang out there. And he's yeah. actually got a nicer house than anyone she's been to yet. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been nice. Um, Although so I that, can't well, that's, that's the very Cinderella thing. Like, oh, I met a prince this whole time and I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, I meant to say, I loved what I loved when she was on the plane and the guy that, the poor guy that she was sitting next to, <laughs> like grabs his arm and then she falls asleep on him. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming it was her first time flying. Yeah, and yeah. I'm assuming it was not this gentleman's first no, time flying. That would know. I thought it was going to happen then when he took his cigarette out and started smoking that she was going to start like coughing and waving it away but that didn't happen um, speaking of smoking the girl with the blonde hair that was really rude about the dress um, when she went to Mrs. Harris's house she was smoking a cigarette and it fell on the floor I saw that she saw that too. Just, and was like oh. yeah and all of a sudden she had it yeah I saw that and then the moment she walked out of Mrs. Harris's apartment with the dress on, it's pouring. And I'm like, that poor dress. I know. I don't think yes. it's supposed to be getting wet. I mean, it got a lot worse afterwards, but yeah. I was hoping she was gonna try to fix the dress or something. Yeah. When she threw it out into the No, that water, made me so like, sad for no. her. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the smoking. Uh, I, I wonder though if if in that scene it was just an accident because uh, I think sometimes when you're smoking in a scene as an actor you do so many takes but they don't give you a new cigarette every, every time and you're you're focused on your performance and it just ends up burning and burning and burning. It, that's a possible explanation, which is ironic because I think there's a there's a whole sort of issue that fans have with The Shining because there's I guess there's a scene I didn't notice it but a scene where uh, Shelley Duvall 
has a cigarette and the ash is super, super long. And like, why won't she just like tap it off? But she's just talking through it or staring. I I don't know what she's doing in that scene, but maybe it's because they just were doing so many takes and it's just one cigarette and she's just letting it burn. Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, Duval, she was probably, uh, she was like traumatized. By the way, you guys, Shirley Duval did a Christmas album in 1990. I may oh. have mentioned this last year, but you should check it out. It's I, it's definitely made for children and not adults, oh. but it's extremely charming and I'm kind of like really into it. Oh, I know she did that. It's Thank very you. cute. So try to find it. Cool. Um, one other person we haven't mentioned yet that I actually enjoyed was the girl who worked at Dior. She was the redhead yeah. um, who was yeah. kind of running back and forth. I thought she was going to be mean. Yeah, because uh, she's way- redhead? Yeah, exactly. She reminded I'm me Eric, you off in no, case Eric, she listening. reminded me of the mean girl at the boarding school in Pippi Longstocking, the movie. Oh. Oh. She reminded me of her. So I thought like when she saw her, like the first reaction, I was like, oh, she's gonna be really mean. But you know I, what? Pippi, Pippi was a redhead too. Okay. I know. But uh, I loved the, her reaction though, like how oh. she's so happy to see Mrs. Harris in this environment and tells all the models like you'll never believe this person that's here and I like, loved that yeah and then she was so happy to help her and I, I liked her yeah, a lot that was sweet yeah um cool anything else Ruth I think that well I think that's it but it, it remembers also uh, one more thing just to touch on I think they kind of played into it I forgot at one at one point when Mrs. Harris I guess was ready you know to find love that ended up being somebody right in front of her right in front of her face or just you know kind of one of those kind of things ain't that just how it goes yeah exactly okay yeah, so, stop looking at me like that Ruth <laughs> Eric, I love your magician stuff you know, your magic tricks <laughs> but yeah she didn't think she had it in her again but this all proved to her she did yeah she got it in her again <laughs> we don't and know. she got to wear her, dra- her Dior dress Again, this movie is not meant to have any innuendos, Eric. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. It's all very sweet. Nobody has any working parts. I get it. Well, it's because <laughs> it, and I, mean, I was <laughs> called the temptation, the dress. It's true. She wanted temptation, right? I think she, <laughs> consciously she, she knew what she was going to use that dress for. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you, Ruth. Eric, you're up. Woo. Okay. First of all, just to go back to what I said earlier, I looked it up. Atelier is not the man it's the room that they were in. So oh. excuse me, excuse my French, as they say. <laughs> um, so it was a very cute movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, it reminded me in certain ways of Devil Wears Prada, actually. Yeah. But then I thought it's not the Devil Wears Prada. It's more like the Angel Wears Dior. <laughs> uh, and there were, uh, there was another, there were a couple of moments that reminded me of other movies as well. One was uh, when she first goes to Dior, it's basically the exact pretty woman moment. She goes in there and they're like, this is not the place for you. We have nothing for you. And she's like, I got money to spend in this place. And she literally <laughs> takes that out of her purse and shows them. And then she gets, well, she, she gets to stay. Julia Roberts didn't get to stay in the store, but she went back later and got her revenge. So yes. that's good. Uh, and the other one was when he, that guy, and this should have been her first red flag. The marquee takes her to that burlesque show. I expected her to be like scandalized, like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> and it, it made me think about in Taxi Driver when he takes Sybil to their first date at the porn theater. <laughs> but of course, Sybil has the correct reaction, which is, what are you doing? <laughs> this is yeah. not what you 
take a woman to on the first date and doesn't talk to me. I was very worried at that moment because when I was re-watching it with my mom, I forgot exactly how that scene went. And I was like, oh, please don't take your tops off. Please don't take your tops <laughs> oh, off. Yeah. Even though I remember this movie being just a sweet movie, I was like, I don't know if they snuck that in there. And thankfully they didn't. So everything was um, in general, the movie, it was very cute, but I, I guess maybe the fact that it was, it had such fantastical elements, like, you know, things not happening to her that probably would in reality threw me because it was set in a historical context, including like using the real name of, you know, Christian Dior and having a character play him, a character. He, he is the character having an actor play him. Uh, I guess maybe that kind of threw me. I was like, ah, I'm supposed to like suspend my disbelief, but it seems like yes. it's so realistic, but I mean, I still enjoyed it. It just like that felt a little strange to me. And, and some of the, some of the plot lines felt, a bit contrived to me. I mean, especially with the resolution to them. It's like, it's just so easy for her to suddenly march in there and get everyone to follow her straight into Christian Dior's office. It seemed like a sudden burst of confidence that had not been there before or even hinted at. Um, so it, those things n n nibbled at me a little bit, but I do understand and I find it wonderful that Fahad loves this movie so much. <laughs> well, and I think, it, I think it really speaks to him as a person because he said... You said earlier, Fahad, that the, what this movie is about is about um, being a good person and, and being positive uh, and then good things come your way. And that's basically how you live your life. And uh, to anyone who's friends with us uh, knows that I've, I've often said um, there's this thing called hashtag Fahad blessed because things just end up working out for Fahad all the time in the weirdest ways. And he barely has to try. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> this would never work out for me. And, uh, you know, it probably comes down to his personality being a him being a mrs harris in the world <laughs> instead of me who is a mrs colbert <laughs> <laughs> so i get that and and I, I i think that that's pretty wonderful and i also like that fahad basically gave us our first uh sort of pre-christmas movie because it has that sense of joy and compassion that a lot of christmas movies do you know it's like the christmas miracle and mrs harris works a miracle works a couple of miracles in this movie the whole movies make miracle. everyone's lives better I enjoyed um, seeing Jason Isaacs get to be full and proper British for maybe the first time I've ever seen. He and every time I see him, in, he has a British accent, but he's oh. never being like this sort of like man on the street right, British right. guy. And, I thought uh, he was um, Irish. It sounded like he had a Scottish accent there, actually. Was he? You know, I'm just lumping them all together. United Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Scottish will still not enjoy that I use that to lump them into, but currently, technically, you know until the next referendum. Forgive us, Scott. <laughs> um, I, during watching this, I found myself wondering, if, is there a British movie that isn't about class struggles? Because uh, it's the second one we've watched this uh, cycle, actually. Me Before You was a little bit about class, too. She comes from nothing, and he's a prince. Well, not exactly a prince, but, you know, a prince Rich. among men, as they say. I think I'll... I had just a couple notes of things that I can might as well share now. I could bring them up later, but hey, Eric, before you before you jump into your notes, can I just speak to one thing you mentioned? Sure. Um, where you talked about the confidence that she got all of a sudden to rally all the women to kind of storm up and go to Mr. Dior, Christian Dior's office. Um, right. I think it was a buildup of confidence because 
to think about she left everything and got to Paris on her own. She had the confidence to just walk right in and demand that she get this frock, this 500 pound frock that she wants. Um, and that took some guts and confidence to just walk in there and not be willing to back down or, you know, go away when they say you don't belong here. So I think like she kind of has that spark in her. It just built up and up and up to that point. She had already been there for a week. She's probably already become friends with these women was sewing with them they probably built her up a lot like I can't believe you're here it's so amazing seeing what you're doing so I think she probably was able to build on that and kind of get them all in just sure. I definitely understand what you're saying on paper it just did not um work for me I guess yeah. in reality it probably wouldn't happen sure yeah. <laughs> in this movie it's not reality to me <laughs> <laughs> um so some some things uh the first one is, and I don't know if anyone else has watched uh, Kimmy Schmidt on I Netflix, have. but I know Fahad has. So again, he probably won't be the only one who knows what I'm talking about. But when uh, the trash queen comes in and she's got her daughter in tow, Matilda, <laughs> Matilda, uh, she, my first thought was, okay, this is 1957. Did this teenage girl invent goth? <laughs> Are we witnessing <laughs> the birth of goth? Right. <laughs> But it also just her mannerisms, I think, and her general appearance made me, uh, reminded me so much of Xanthippe mm. uh, from Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> I was confused about that too. Like what's up with this modern looking goth thing in 2000 in the 1950s? Yeah, she wasn't even like, like mod. Over, that was like, weird. Like, old goth. It was so, so yeah. goth. I mean, that kind of goth was from like the eighties, right? I know, it was a little out yeah, of, probably out of 80s, the 80s. century. Maybe they were far ahead of us. <laughs> Uh, that threw me off a bit. Anyway. It was France. All, all, all fashion in France is way ahead of its time. <laughs> um, I was also kind of annoyed at Mrs. Harris because she's a litter bug. Uh, how many big things did she throw into the Thames? Uh, I mean, <laughs> that poor river. <laughs> um, Back then, there wasn't that much of a an entire Dior dress. Can you imagine that washing up on a shore? Somebody's like, "What?" <laughs> I think people were less environmentally conscious back then. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> um, uh, and then I had, uh, oh, another one that Fahad, only Fahad will probably get, unless anyone else has watched Fringe. No? Okay. Uh, when she steps, I've never been to Europe, actually, and I've definitely never been to the airport near Paris, but when she walks out and the giant letters are there, I thought, oh my God, it's a Fringe establishing shot. Yep. <laughs> Just, it looked kind of fake because... I've seen them in that show so often and then they're always, you know, computer generated. Yeah. Also, can uh, you imagine so, she walked all the way from the airport to the city? I wonder how long that took. Do you think that scene was on purpose? Like it was sort of like them saying she's in an alternate universe now. It's it's like a, a, a completely different world from where she comes from. I mean, it was, right? <laughs> Probably not, but I'm gonna choose to think of it that way. Now, like, what if, what <laughs> if she actually never made it to Paris and died in the airplane and everything we saw from that point on was like this fantasy dream as she was going down. I have often thought to myself, what if those near misses where I almost died or you know something bad happened? What if I did, but then what like the afterlife is, is your life just sort of continues after that point and you don't notice, uh, but maybe things start going your way. And so of course the theory always gets thrown out when I realize things didn't start going my way after that <laughs> point. So clearly I did not pass. So maybe Mrs. Harris did die in the airplane. It could be a Beetlejuice type situation because things definitely didn't go their way, even though they thought they were still alive. True. <laughs> and I wouldn't mind living in that world. I mean, even if things don't go my way. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you guys read my reviews on Letterboxd, but the I have two reviews on there for Beetlejuice now because 
it's got to be one of my like all time favorite movies. And in one of them, I said, um, I think heaven for me would be just living in the movie Beetlejuice with all the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but back to uh, her going into a different world when she gets to Paris, I think that also um, relates to what you said earlier, Fahad, about how London is all sort of, um, it always seems dark and she lives like kind of in a basement and, uh, and everything's a little bit grimier, but Paris is all like wide open spaces and sunshine. And, uh, and I think that they probably did that on purpose too. I mean, obviously it rains in Paris, but- uh, You never see that in movies. <laughs> But you know, that doesn't, well, sometimes because the ma- rain can be magical too. So if it's the right romantic moment, it might rain True. in Paris, but it always, Paris waits to rain for you. As I was gonna say, the Paris weather <laughs> changes when it's the right moment for romance. Right. The Paris clouds just understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to uh, also touch back on what I was talking about and what we were all talking about, about her being sort of an invisible woman. And I wondered if, uh, it seemed to me that she kind of wanted to be invisible too. Like she seemed to hide from things. She didn't want people yeah. to notice her. Um, but then she decides by the end of the movie, like after her, her journey, that she, that it's okay to stand out and to let people see you and to make yourself heard. Um, that good things can come from that. And, and so that, the, mes- the message that I got from the movie was that, that, uh, that if you take a risk and try things, try new things, um, you'll things bad things may happen, but you'll like you'll love your life more. You, more good things will come into your life because of it. Uh, and I'm really glad she ended up with Archie. I thought that uh, I didn't know that was going to happen, especially when we first meet him. I was like, okay, no, he, he's so interested in these young girls he's and he, the women he was with. <laughs> he just seems younger than her, but you know, a lot of men like Jason Isaac seem younger than the women that are actually their age, <laughs> uh, and that's probably just a sexism issue in my own mind as well as everyone else's is we just look at a man like that differently than we look at a woman of the same age so but I appreciated that they bucked that and actually had him interested in her at the end and had them get together um and so the last thing I was going to say and this is a question for everybody and I know Takiya still has to go so if she has anything to say about it that's good but a, a lot of the movie talked about uh fate and, and, and receiving signs and she acts on a lot of them and, and they kind of like works for her. Like she, she looks for like, what is the universe trying to tell me I should be doing or, 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 or thinking. Um, so I wondered if anyone, what anyone thought about that or if anyone else in your life, in your lives, do you look to fate or signs for, I mean, for I'm obviously, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Superstitious? Superstitious, thank you. Uh, <laughs> And I'm not going to go into all my superstitions on here, but um, I'm trying to get better. I have a, oh, that's my third New Year's resolution. Oh, that was the I one. I remembered it now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for everybody listening. I told Eric the other day, I had three New Year's resolutions. And then all of a sudden I forgot what the third one was. And now I remembered it's supposed to be less superstitious about specific things. Okay. Wow. I'm glad this, see, listen to the signs, Eric, you bringing this up brought it back to me. Yeah, you know, the older I get, the more I look for these. (laughs) It's fate you brought this up and I spoke about it. Um, But I I was just going to say that even though some of the signs led her to unfortunate instances, like the dog and losing all the money, it still ultimately led her to the path she needed to be in to get to where she got. Yeah. I liked that about her. And I liked how she kind of looked to her husband to guide her from beyond. I thought that was sweet. It was sweet. It was so sad, though, that she waited 13 years to, 
I guess always hoping he might just walk in the door. And uh, even I thought he was going to walk in the door at the end. I thought, oh, that's how they're going to move wrap this movie up. And then I thought, oh no, then she'd have to give back so much money to the government. Yes. <laughs> at that point, I might then be like, okay, I don't believe this anymore. Okay, yeah. It didn't happen yet, but if that happened, I'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> that's the two part. Le, le revenant. <laughs> Uh, anything else, Eric, on your end? Nope, I'm all good for now. Awesome. Or right now, we're all good. Takia, over to you. Hey, um, yeah, it was, uh, I like the movie. It was very basic <laughs> for me. Uh, <laughs> no horror, um, no violence, no action. Yep. That, that was a very qualified, I like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably want to see it again, but not because it was a terrible movie. It's just not my thing. <laughs> so, um, but like I enjoyed it. The acting was good. It was a very like I said it was a, a basic, feel good movie. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say at all about it. it was just it was so basic for me. <laughs> um, I know it's funny to hear everybody's conversations and, and like everyone's getting really deep into it. I'm like, it was very basic, you know, very feel good. But once people started That's getting it. more deep into it, do you still not see what people were talking about? I just see more. I do see more. I, I, my, my mind drifted a little bit. What what um when I was watching. Um, I, I don't know. I just like, I like, I guess I'm not, I'm not as into feel good movies, but I like to appreciate them. I don't, I, I, I just, it was good. Like I said, yeah. what it was, it was good. Like that genre or whatever. So, but, um, hearing your, hearing your guys' conversations, it, I, I enjoyed hearing the conversations about it and how everything you guys analyzed more, you got way more of it than I did. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Like I see certain things that you guys picked out that um, like even like when you said thought about the five types of romances, that got me thinking about. So okay, let's see what you mean. And um, it, the I think I like the end. No, I don't mean you know. I noticed. Oh, I like you know the, the uh, what what happened at the end when the the she burned the dress up and after she worked so hard to get this dress, that was that was kind of like a little dramatic piece. Like I kind of liked, I guess, but you know it was sad. That was interesting to watch. She was this, this dress she worked so hard for. It the actress, you know, had an unfortunate accident of burning it up, but then yet she ended up with another dress that she liked even more. So, um, so yeah, it was basic feel good. That's all I have for it. Sounds <laughs> good. Yeah, I just feel like oh, you guys are so like doing good with analyzing it, and I yeah, I, I can't. It wasn't deep for me. <laughs> you know, if, yeah. if I had a Dior dress, even if it caught fire, I don't think I'd throw it in the Thames. I think I'd pretty and pink that thing. Like, <laughs> you know, just pull, pull out the burned parts, get it cut away in there, piece of fabric, maybe alter a few other things and then wear that it out. what I thought she was going to do because she was such a good seamstress. I thought yeah, that was that's what I, I, I was kind of surprised that she threw it away too. I would have, well, it, it was one thing if, 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 if the, the was, whole thing, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no. You go. I, I was saying, uh, it was one thing if the whole thing got caught, caught fire was sandwiched to a crisp, but only it was the front. Like, like she couldn't do something fancy to the front, take the front part that got burned and put something seen something yeah. you know, so something else it, on there it kind of looked like not only was it burned but it felt like it like shredded a bit like did she like just when she got home did the girl just tear it off of her and like oh she, i know wouldn't you have just like nicely like tried to salvage it somehow she seemed to care right kind of, like, like it was just threw it in a pile sorry yeah. about your fire yeah that's I, I can say 
I said, I think I have one quote and I can say about that. Yeah, it was, it was, that was kind of crazy how she just kind of, she came there and she invited the teller ahead of time, which was kind of laying there in a pile and, oh, just got burned, blah, 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 blah. Like it was kind of like flippant way of, yeah. sorry, got burned. You know, I've there. escaped to my mom's to uh, recuperate, yeah. kind of, to recover. It's like you couldn't and, even be there to tell her in person. Yeah. And then um, I guess- offer to pay, say, I will pay you back for this. I mean, she didn't even, it was like, it was not, it wasn't even on the table. <laughs> Yeah. Did you notice that when she locked the door, she put the key through the mailbox and walked away? So yes. she, she quit. She's standing up for herself finally. Yes. But I guess that answers our question. We were trying to figure out, like, was that girl really just like sort of a, you know, a space case or was she actually a mean person? I guess Mrs. Harris uh, decided in the end She's not she one. is not a nice person she, or she wouldn't have treated her like that. Well, there are I want to jump in with my quote. Thank you. <laughs> I was just, just to say what on an yeah. thing, though. There are people out there that are nice, but they're also very selfish. And yeah. they don't realize how selfish they actually are. And yeah. I think Pamela is that person. She doesn't realize how selfish she's actually being. And, but she yeah. still tries to be nice, but she doesn't realize that she's also very selfish. And yeah. I think Mrs. Harris is like, I don't need that kind of a person in my life that even as nice as she can be to me, look at what she did. And she, and in Pamela's mind, it's like, I caught on fire. I'm the one going through this trauma. Don't worry, I'm okay, you know, but not realizing, but you don't know what you did to her dress and to her and stuff. So I think she's just a very selfish person and doesn't realize that she's selfish. Yeah. I, I was like, one, okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I was worried the whole time when she wore the dress that it was gonna get ruined and it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did All right, you get your quote? No, it's not bad. Profound. I like that they said when she when they get sent her a note after they sent her a new dress. We knew immediately that you had been too kind again. So that was <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that like if we saw a sequel to this, would it be Mrs. Harris? Like being mean to people? Like she maybe she, the lesson she learned was don't be so nice to people. <laughs> um, well, there are sequels, not movies, but so in case oh, the uh, books, right? Yeah, for those who aren't aware. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is based off of a series of books. The first one was Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Mrs. Um, Harris Goes to Paris. Mrs. Yeah, it's Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris because of the way they pronounce Harris. Um, oddly enough, or interestingly enough, the, um, the book was turned into a movie, I think, was it in the 90s or the 80s, um, starring Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Harris. What you're going to watch, oh, right? Oh, my gosh. That is... A good recast. I was going to recast her as. Is it really? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> well, awesome. then I guess you're in good company with the casting director. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, Shelly. You can still, you know, still use it. Obviously, that shows how good you were in picking somebody too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other books uh, were so there was Mrs. Eris goes to Paris. It was then followed up by Mrs. Eris goes to New York. Mrs. Eris goes to Parliament. Oh, wow. And Mrs. Harris goes to Moscow. Oh, wow. Okay, and Moscow, it, in man. Parliament, Mrs. Harris finds that being nice, kind, and hopeful does not always lead to people being nice and kind in return. <laughs> Unlike uh, Paris. <laughs> in New York, the French Count reappears, and again, all but one or two characters reveal hidden hearts. So I guess the Marquis shows back up in New York. Maybe he's playing a long game with her, and they actually do end up together. Yeah. And in Moscow, Mrs. Harris wins a trip and stumbles onto the Soviet Union's most embarrassing problem. It has bought a cargo of toilet paper that has to be marked as birdseed. 
<laughs> does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> but Mrs. Uh, Harris to the rescue. <laughs> uh, did you read that they also did a Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris musical? Yes. I feel like you should find that and watch it because you'd probably really enjoy it if they had song and dance to this. It would be interesting. See you liking that. Yeah. Um, the TV movie that was made was from 1992. And Shelly, again, I'm so sorry for 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 <laughs> validating for validating, validating your pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a surprise anymore. That, that's that's <laughs> good. It's that time again for ba, 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 recap. We close each episode with the recast game where we each play casting director and choose a different actor from any era, living or dead, to portray a character in the film instead. First up is Shelly. Oh, sorry. I mean, we, we know. Sorry. Well, first up is Shelly. Who my recast would be. <clears throat> Angela Lansbury. But I also thought that um, Betty White, the younger oh. Betty White, would be perfect for this role. That would be cute. But Angela, oh, you're right, right, would be a perfect Mrs. Harris. Had we not known and had I not spoiled anything. <laughs> but that was a very good, very good option, uh, choice there. Uh, Ruth. Um, so touching on with kind of how, you know, you've got somewhat of the comparison with Devil Wars Prada. And it even reminded me a little bit of um, Confessions of a Shopaholic, kind of in that realm. Um, but I thought, you know what, for Mrs. Harris, I'd love to see... Meryl Streep play a completely different opposite character of what she played in that movie in Devil Wars Prada to play Mrs. Harris just because she's so versatile I would just love to see her kind of in a completely opposite type role right no it would be fun because you saw her yeah as the 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 villain in Devil Wars Prada but here she's the angel this the hero yeah in a similar kind of thing like Eric what what do you say Devil Wears Prada and the angel wears Dior yeah. <laughs> She's in the devil in one and the angel in the other. Yeah. <laughs> and then they could package those movies together in a Blu-ray set. <laughs> that would be cool. I'd, wa- I'd, I'd watch those movies all the time. Um, Eric. Okay, so I got a little bit stuck on casting a French person because so many of the people are actually French or they need yeah. to speak French. And I thought, well... Every time I thought like, oh, I would cast this person, like, but that's weird because they're not French at all. And that's weird for me to stick them in there. So, so I, then I went to, uh, I decided I was thinking about which French actors do I even know? And, and the list is very short, <laughs> but I thought of a name and then I thought of who I would cast them as. And I actually wanted to cast uh, the lead homeless guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, from wherever they were, the station. Yeah, the train station. And I thought uh, he could have been uh, Gerard de Perdue. I was thinking that too. I didn't go, I didn't land on that with my recast, but I w- that was an option I was thinking. <laughs> I can totally see that. We all have the same short list of French actors. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I was thinking that too. I'm like, Gerard de Perdue, and that's it. No. <laughs> I was like, if we do an American version, they still have to go to Paris. So these people still have to be French. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. So Takia, what's your recast? So I decided to recast um, her friend Vi uh, as with Viola Davis, because she's quite versatile. And uh, yeah, I always try like, to choose a versatile uh-huh. actors and actresses. So yeah, that should remind me of her too. She's a little, a little bit like her as well. So that's my recast. Ooh, a vi for a vi. The vi stands for vivacious, actually, I, I assume. <laughs> I, I would like to see Viola do more 
comedy. And that woman was pretty funny and she didn't really take yeah. anything seriously. Mm-hmm. Viola Davis mostly does these very serious and serious roles, yeah. heartbreaking portrayals. Totally. Um, cool. So now for my recast, I ran into the same issue as Eric. I was like, I want to do one of the French people, but I don't know too many French actors or actresses and I don't want to do some American or a British person doing a French accent. So I chose a character from Paris who actually didn't speak. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I chose Mathilde, the daughter of the trash king and queen. And I recast her with Taylor Momsen because Taylor can give off that bratty, gothy look that she has and that smirk at the end when her dad's being hauled off to prison. Um, she seemed kind of happy like yeah he got what he deserved kind of a thing but oh, I think I missed that yeah she kind of was standing there on the side and just had kind of like a little like smirk like she wasn't upset that like, would be my ideal acting role where I wouldn't have to make I wouldn't have to remember my lines I could just look like a brat yeah <laughs> same here <laughs> um awesome well great recasts everybody so at this time let's go ahead and rate our uh this movie so if everybody can open up the chat and type in from zero to five, and you can do quarter increments, what your rating for this movie would be, and then put your thumb up when you all are ready. Moment um, of truth. With Ruth. Okay. The moment of Ruth. Moment of Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to count down from three to zero, and when I hit the row on zero, hit enter. Okay, three, two, one, zero. So... Um, and just so everybody knows, I'm going to explain the reason why I gave it a five. I think, Eric, you know my reasons for fives. And it's movies that I fall in love with that I can watch over and over. And the fact that I watched the movie two weeks ago and again two nights ago, I realized. And the fact that I feel like I want to go back and watch it again tonight. Oh, wow. I, I think it justifies my rating. I could watch this again. Yeah. yeah it's just very, that's, that's it's fair. easy going, laid back, just put it on in the background and Especially, like I said, if you ever do watch it again, it's much more enjoyable because you know that the down part of the roller coaster has an even better uphill part. Well, uphill sounds like a battle. You know, a better climb and a higher peak. Um, so, Shelly, I am going to ask you to read off your ratings for me, please. All righty. Fahad, five. Ruth, 4.5. Takia, three. Eric, 3.25. And Shelly, four. Awesome. Thank you. And that gives Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris an average of 3.95. Wow, that's pretty high. That's pretty good. Yeah. Made people happy, I guess. Do what? Made people happy, I guess. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we just need a happy movie. And apparently it made the world happy because I know a lot of us, who love movies like to look at Rotten Tomato scores and sometimes base our opinions on if we should watch a movie by what other people think. Hence, you all listening to this podcast. Um, here's what's very interesting. The tomato meter for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Not, and I did this on purpose after everybody rated because I didn't want to influence anything. Um, the tomato meter by the critics, 94%. By the audience, 93%. Wow. So, oh, yeah, I saw super that. highly rated movie. So, uh, yeah. So I think, I think this is good. Um, so thank you, everybody. I don't, for... this, I don't think this movie could get like a best picture nomination or even best director, but I could see it being one of those movies. And ironically, this often happens to Meryl Streep, where nobody is really that impressed with the whole movie, but there's one actor in it, Meryl Streep, that they want to nominate. 
So I could see, for instance, Isabel, or not, no, um, what's her name? Leslie Manville is the star? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I could see her getting maybe a nod at, at the Golden Globes, for instance, for, for playing the part. I think especially since they split it into like drama and comedy musical kind of mm -hmm. thing. Usually movies this highly rated, though, I mean, somebody or something gets some award buzz, even if it's just, you know, costumes, um, which could be, I mean, uh, that is probably a fair case, too, that uh, whoever the costume designer is who put together those old yours designs for the runway. I think they deserve, yeah. Will probably get some kind of nomination. nomination. Oh. But I mean, and Leslie Manville also has in her pocket that she's been nominated for an Oscar before. And sometimes that adds a little bit of clout as well. Ah, oh yes, definitely. She's so yeah, a solid choice. Yeah, great. Well, thank you everybody for going on this sweet little roller coaster journey with me. Um, definitely appreciate it. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and turn it over to Eric to let us know what movie I'm kind of scared now we're gonna watch is gonna take us out of this joyous moment. I don't know. But no, my thunder. I was gonna ask, are you guys scared? <laughs> it's an Eric movie. Yes. I feel like after after last week's movie, we need to talk about Kevin. We needed something lighthearted to just kind of bring yeah. this down. So yes. If, if you need to get heavy again, Eric, go for it. I actually don't think I'm going to. I think you're going to be happy. Uh, this was I had a movie picked out weeks ago and then I started thinking about the schedule. And we talked um, uh, previously, I think last week, I probably cut it out of the episode, but about uh, how uh, my episode would be released right before Christmas. So I started rethinking and I was like, oh, I, I really want to have something that is in the spirit, but I didn't want to do a straight Christmas movie. That's, that would be just too easy. So I, I thought about it and I also really wanted to, um, because we often don't do this, pick something that is brand new. Um, so we can watch it like when it's, when it has actually come out and then talk about it. So just be a part of sort of the current culture. Uh, and so what I decided to do was choose a movie that is going to be on Netflix starting tomorrow. Okay. And it is by a very famous director, but it is a classic story and it will be interesting, interesting to see what he does with it. And it should be, it should be full of some joy and you know the, that good that joyous Christmas miracle kind of feeling but I think it you know because of this particular director it's going to probably be a little it'll it'll give, give us something to talk about for sure and it'll be a little more deeper than we're used to seeing the story maybe and that movie is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio oh wow ah. so it's apparently going to be stop motion animation which I'm very excited for that's a first for us in this Mm -hmm. and obviously he is an oscar nominated well he won did shape of water won for best picture so oscar winning director um usually does very dark things he just did netflix's cabinet of curiosities during the halloween season which was which was very good very beautiful and so this is kind of a, a strange swerve for him is that the word for it? <laughs> a shift pivot for him uh, to choose to do the, uh, the story uh, of Pinocchio. Uh, it's a little bit ironic too, because there was another Pinocchio adaptation starring Tom Hanks as Geppetto that came out earlier this year, but I do not think that that did very well. So- Yeah, I don't think that did well. But it's very exciting. It's it's available tomorrow on Netflix. So you'll have um, almost the full week until our next recording to, to watch it. 
and then we'll come together and we can talk about it and uh, it'll be out for Christmas. Cool. Awesome. Can you awesome. back to the previous? I'm excited. Day? Yeah. Are you excited or are you tired? No, I'm, I'm excited and tired. But <laughs> oh, that sounded excited. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it looks like Pinocchio is always kind of, that story has scared me. And I'm sure Guillermo <laughs> is not going to pull punches on that. So. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> living dolls, right? Annabelle, Chucky, Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> He's the first living doll. Yeah. Megan, you know, the new one coming out. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Well, I declare this episode of Old Fogies and Films concluded. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Facebook and find our list on Letterboxd. Don't forget to leave a comment or a review. Everybody say ta-ta. 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 And uh, she got herself a man, too. A man? There you go, Eric. <laughs> <laughs>